Hello, and welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that takes apparently straight films and discusses why they are, in fact, gay. I'm Haley. I'm Emma. I have to apologize in advance for any very apocalyptic wind sounds you hear in the background because we're having a truly, a truly wild wind <laughs> situation outside. A tempest. A tempest. Not really, because it's not raining, but mm. it's very windy. Yeah. So if there's like some sort of disembodied like whistling or howling that you happen to hear, um, that's what's going on and there's nothing I can do. <laughs> very good. So we are gathered here today to kind of, in spite of our best intentions to stop talking about weird 90s movies, talking about an even the weirdest 90s movie yet, mm. I would say. Yes. Um, which is the 1997 movie Gattaca, which I expect a lot of people probably haven't seen. Um, but it's written and directed by Andrew Nichol, and it stars Ethan Hawke, Jude Law, and Uma Thurman, and various other people that one would recognize. Yeah, it's a weirdly rich cast. Also, like, I mean, we'll spend a lot of time talking about how freaking young everybody is and looks and stuff, but it's like, yeah, it's like young Tony Shalhoub walking through, like, mm -hmm. So many random people. I couldn't believe I had never seen it. I'll talk about that a lot, but I couldn't believe I had never seen it considering everybody who's in this freaking movie. Well, why don't you talk about that right now? Is that our conventional beginning to describe sure. our histories with the movies in question? Surely. Well, I mean, despite being a, what I, what I consider to be a devotee of, of early 90s Jude Law, this is becoming on my end at least, a Jude Law appreciation podcast, since we have already discussed him once. Um, friend of the podcast, Jude Law. Um, I had never seen it, and not only that, I'm not sure I'd even heard of it. I think it like completely missed me. And partly that might be because, obviously we were like very young when it came out, but even growing up or whatever, I think that there was a really distinct lack of sci-fi in my house, mm. you know, and in my kind of like sphere. I, it wasn't something that I like imbibed a lot of as a child at all. Whereas most other early career Jude Law films from the 90s, I have seen, but I think it was the, the sort of sci-fi futuristic kind of dystopia angle um, didn't make it into my house. So I didn't know it at all. It was barred from your home. Yeah, well, it's like not the kind of thing that I think my parents would have watched because, you know, I'm a much more sort of, um, I'm sort of a, I'm a historical drama bitch and I, and I come by it honest because my parents are as well. So it just like, we don't go to the future. I also really don't go to space. I actively avoid space. I mean, this isn't, this isn't space to be fair. No, but it's, it's space adjacent. It's space related. Ethan Hawke's quest is space forward. And I like, I don't know, something about the, the dystopia of it. I didn't even read a lot of dystopian novels as a youth. Um, except in high school in curriculums. So yeah, it missed me totally. Yeah, I actually didn't sort of organically come across this movie either. I'd only seen it once before um, in high school when I believe we watched it one day in a biology class when we had a substitute teacher. So, you know, you are, they need to fill the day because they don't know how to teach biology. And so they have you watch a movie. And That's watched fascinating this. that you were shown this in an educational setting. Yeah, which now that I'm positive to think about it is quite weird because there's, um, I mean, I guess they cut away from any sort of like of the sex, but like there are some certainly yeah. very explicitly sexual situations. But yeah, that's when I remember watching it. And I, huh. for the past, you know, possibly <laughs> 15 years, 
have it I, it's just been in the back of my mind I've just remembered it even though I've never watched it again and um mm. yeah it made an impression maybe for mm. reasons that now are clear <laughs> yeah yeah it's really interesting and it's also like a really um I feel like I am biased toward writer director projects often because mm. I feel like they tend to have a really kind of like svelte narrative sense like a really specific conceptual like this is a singular vision. A guy woke up in the night, and as I texted you when we were watching the film yesterday, the thought that woke this man up in the night was assuredly the, they don't have a gene for fate. And I was like, that, it struck him like a bolt of lightning one day, and then Andrew sat up and was like, I'm writing that movie, and <laughs> that's what this movie is. But it's really like beautiful you know, like score wise and cinema, you know, like does production design wise, it's like a very memorable film. Yeah. Well, yeah. so shall we, shall we give a plot summary? Please. Given that I expect a lot of people listening probably have not seen this movie. Mm -hmm. um, shall I do it? Yes. Attempt it if you will. All right. Yes. I'll make an effort. Um, so it is the near future in a time when most people are born using some combination of sort of like genetic engineering to make sure that they don't have like major, you know, genetic issues. And like, mm -hmm. there's obviously some sort of like gene editing capabilities that are more advanced and more prevalent than our own. And so this has created a sort of underclass of people who are born naturally, which they have like various sort of like slang terms for, and then people who are sort of, um, genetically engineered and they're called valids. And so it's like valids and invalids are the two sort of like classes of people. Um, and they don't really get into the like culture of that as much as they could, but anyway. And so our lead character is Ethan Hawke, who is an invalid called Vincent, who like after he was born and was like, you know, at birth, it's like there's a scene in a hospital room where they like, already are printing out, like he's gonna die when he's 30.2 years old. He has a 99% chance of heart problems, like a, you know, 42% chance of bipolar disorder. You know, like they already know everything that's gonna be wrong with him from birth. And so his parents are sort of like, oh fuck, and get their <laughs> second son, Anton, you know, genetically engineered. So Vincent grows up with this constant sense of inferiority, both within his own family and also just like structurally within the society. And we sort of, we learn all this in flashback that like he, yeah. you know, worked as a janitor and he dreamed of going to space. And eventually he sort of gets hooked up with this shady process by which people, valids who for whatever reason sort of need money, sell their identities to invalids in order for the invalids to kind of get access to all of the sort of benefits of being valid. Because it's like, there's all these scenes where he's like applying for jobs and they do a blood test and then you're like automatically rejected. So he buys the identity of Jude Law, who is named, uh, what is his name? I forgot his, his name is, his name is, I'm going to say right now, his name is Jerome Morrow. Jerome. And throughout, throughout this podcast, I'm going to fuck up and say Julian Morrow, which is the name of the professor in The Secret History. Yes. And the whole time we were watching the movie, I was like, why is this, I know this name, why have I heard it before? And it's because it's almost the exact name of the professor from The Secret History. So it's Jerome in this movie and not Julian. It's very funny. And the reason I blanked out is because for most of the movie, he goes by his middle name, which is Eugene, which is a bad, bad pun because he has good genes. Such a bad fun. I love it. There's a couple of those. So anyway, yeah. they come up with this whole scheme and um, Vincent takes on Jerome's identity and gets a job at this like space company, Gattaca, and is sort of rising through the ranks and is finally being selected. When the movie begins, it's like he's been selected for a mission mm -hmm. to like a moon of Jupiter or something. And yes. 
he has a week. That's like the time frame of the movie. It's a week before he leaves. But the, this is all almost derailed when one of the sort of upper level mission directors is murdered. And there's police all over the place. And he, they, I mean, like it's sort of, suspicions arise they find like a sample of his like actual hair as opposed to his like jude law's hair that he like leaves around the place and so they're on the lookout for his real identity but they don't see his real identity and his fake identity and it's sort of the couple days before his mission in which the sort of it feels like perhaps the police are closing in also he is sort of beginning a relationship with a co-worker named irene 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 again again. (laughs) yeah Yeah, Yeah. hang on um played by uma thurman who uh also is like in danger of discovering who he really is and the kind of bulk of the film is this sort of ticking clock of like are the police going to find him are his co-workers going to find him or is he going to get to space at the end of the movie he indeed does we discover that the police who the police officer who's been like really doggedly pursuing him is in fact his brother and they sort of have this like climactic final confrontation and then they realize like, oh wait, someone else killed the mission director. It's all good. And like the brothers left feeling very weird and deflated, conflicted, and he um gets to go to space. And we with a sort of parting farewell from Jude Law, who's like, Yeah, yeah, no, you're gonna be all set when you get back. I've like left you everything you need. I'm gonna go traveling too. And he uh kills himself. And there's this very strange closing moment where um Ethan Hawk is like leaving in the space shuttle and he opens up this sort of letter that he got Mm. from Jude Law's character and sort of there's this closing monologue and it's very unclear whether it is Vincent speaking it or whether it is Mm -hmm. Eugene speaking it Mm -hmm. and it um just sort of leaves hanging kind of what happens to either well I mean we know that Jude Law's character dies but like it's unclear whether in fact this is a sort of suicide mission for uh, Vincent as well. The end. Well done. Thank you. It's not a very long movie. It's not a very long movie. That's kind of what, like, you know, what I was saying about it being a very kind of singular and contained vision. Mm -hmm. It has the quality of like a dream, this movie. Mm -hmm. It has a very kind of like, it's like lit in a crazy way, like a really like saturated sunset-y way a lot. And it's very like, I don't know, as with things said in the future that were made a while ago before our filmmaking capabilities got you know what I mean like it's a very analog film set in the future so the actual texture of the world that they live in feels almost period like it's a really 60s um it's like the it's it's like the Jetsons it's like the 1960s future yes it's like a 60s it's a really stylized feeling 60s future made in the 90s set in as you said the sort of epigram kind of you know the 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 sort of title card is in the very near in the not too distant future Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's got that whole kind of there's something novelistic or even short story-ish about it to me it has that kind of energy it's a really small cast film basically except for like the detective the guy you know the doctor but basically it's like it's a cast of like four it's really mm-hmm. a cast of three <laughs> you know and so it's really yeah it's interesting so there's so much there's so many places that we can begin with all of that I'm trying to think if there's anything else to put into the yeah go ahead I mean I think that like something 
I kind of glossed over it, but something that like bears addressing in terms of things that feel really dated is yes. that, so the reason that he has taken Jude Law's identity is that Jude Law was a champion swimmer yeah. and he had an apparent accident and has lost the use of his legs. He broke his back. So Jude Law's in a wheelchair the yes. whole movie, which like- Yes, he's paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah. yeah able-bodied actor playing a disabled character. There's like a lot of sort of, it like treads on the border of like a lot Mm -hmm. of weird shit about disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like debatably a fairly ableist film. So that just feels like worth stating up front. I don't don't think we're given to think that the sense that Jula doesn't want to live anymore because he's disabled is why he kills himself. But that is certainly a flavor one could take from what happens. I having I was just scrolling through to find little moments to talk about and I was struck by the moment where in a in a Jude Law being very drunk and therefore a confessionally honest moment that I'm sure we'll get to he confesses kind of midway through the film to Vincent uh we'll call him Ethan Hawke's character that um Clearly Jude Law has a drinking problem in the movie, which is because he's like depressed and has nothing left to live for and is like can't swim anymore and has is selling his identity. But like he he goes out of his way to tell Ethan Hawke that he was not drunk. Uh, he explains the accident and he contextualizes it. And um, and we're given to understand that his first accident was a was a failed suicide attempt. And he stepped in front of a car. And he stepped in front of a car on purpose and he says in a sort of rueful, like, you know, melancholy, sexy Jude Law way. He says, like, you know, uh, couldn't even get that right. But, you know, he he indicates that he's going to probably try again. Yes, so what he says, is, if first you don't succeed, try, see, try again. Yes. And then Ethan Hawke kind of, like, is weirded out and glosses over it because that's an insane thing to say when, you know, you're super drunk and basically you're like, yeah, it was because I was trying to kill myself and I'm going to try again. And so, like, the film goes out of its way to be, like, he was unhappy before he was disabled, but also the society that the movie creates is one where no naturally occurring disability would, would, would occur because they genetically engineer all of their people. Yeah. So it's like, it Which, would be impossible I mean- to live in that, Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's interesting because obviously like that's the premise and I think part of what the movie is doing is say, like there's this part at the beginning where, or there's a part in the flashback where like um, Vincent's parents are seeing the genetic counselor about their second kid and they're like, oh, we don't want to get rid of like all the imperfections and the doctor says something like, well, so much can still go wrong. Like there's, you know, there's plenty, there's going to be plenty of flaws no matter what and you sort of gradually realize that like the society's ideal of perfection isn't... Mm -hmm. There's mm-hmm. always things you can't control. Like Uma Thurman's character, we are given mm-hmm. to believe because she's very successful, is genetically modified, but she also has a heart condition. And then there's this part at the end when the doctor, who we've like encountered several times over the course of the movie because he gives like the constant biological testing that they have to undergo at Gattaca. Yeah, the yeah. company says something like, oh, well, my son wasn't all he was promised to be or something mm-hmm. like that. So there's still a sense of like, yeah, yeah, there are, it's not all controllable. Yeah, which is sort yeah. of what the movie is about. Yeah, yeah, and the whole notion of like that whole there's not a gene for fate thing of like it's not all controllable, which means it isn't. I mean, really, it's like an allegory about free will versus like determinism. You know what I mean? It's like, mm. it's like you can still, you know, like the whole sort of purpose of the Ethan Hawk arc is like, you know, everybody thought that I would 
the doctors suggested that I would die absurdly young and like wouldn't have the ability to do any of the things I'm doing. And he, his like mission, his like very single minded mission has been like to get where he wants to go and prove everybody wrong, no matter what, out of like sheer grit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very interesting. It's really, yeah, it's powerful on a lot of levels. Yeah, and I think I think it's a very different vibe than the other movies we've discussed because yeah. it's a different feel of sort of queerness and of the yes. central relationship. It's not, I feel like every other movie we've talked about is sort of a love story on some level. Mm-hmm. It's about a pair of people kind of coming together and mm-hmm. having their relationship tested in a way that makes it clear that it's how important it is to them. Or it's like a coming out sort of vibe right. of like discovering the nature of the relationship that they have. And this mm-hmm. isn't either of those things. No, but it's a film about identity, mm-hmm. which is interesting, you know, that it is about like, I mean, I guess you, uh, you know, I mean, I feel like it's, I'm really stuck on just the fundamental metaphor of like, it's about sharing an identity yeah, it's about that, like, essential queer, like, so I've heard it called the do-be paradox. Like, do I yes. want to do this person or do I want to be this person? Yes. Um, which is yes. a sort of, like, uh, particularly queer experience because it usually only happens with someone who is of your same gender. Right. Not always. Um, and it is that literalized. Like, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is, yeah. What, what does it mean to become someone or to want to become someone? It's basically a mm-hmm. movie about that gay friend you have who only dates guys who look exactly like him. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there are so many, I mean, the, the specificity, the like forensic specificity of the sharing of bodily fluids. Right. Because this is to clarify, I should have said yeah. this in the plot summary, like a part of this whole like charade that they undertake (laughs) is that like they have to undergo like constant like blood tests and biological tests so part of like his everyday routine is that like he has this fake like fingertip with Jude Law's blood in it so he can like go through like turnstile at work he has like a fit he has his urine so he can give fake urine samples he like has to sit in like this sensory deprivation egg and like scrub off all of his own like stray skin cells and then like has this weird gross vial of like Jude Law's like skin bits and hair that he like sprinkles on places he's been like it's this incredibly elaborate Mm -hmm. detailed to a disgusting degree yeah this relationship of sharing bodily a body yeah sharing a body Yeah. yeah yeah I mean and I feel like that yeah that as you say literalization of the be do paradox of like I quite literally need and want this person's body (laughs) in order to like be the kind in order to live the life that I'm trying to lead like that's like actually the journey it's so interesting and like you know the Jude Law side of it is also really interesting but the 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 giving over of all of those things has a weirdly tender quality like the sharing of bits of himself has a very like vulnerable thing to it yeah he becomes this odd sort of like housewife yes he does constantly at the table like preparing these samples and doing these things and like you know he's home all day so he's clearly the person who like takes care of like the house this horrible creepy cavernous concrete like warehouse that they live in they have no furniture so dark all the time (laughs) yeah just a Um, spiral staircase but I mean maybe this is a good moment to transition into the Mm -hmm. sort of because it's not just there's a vibe as well like there's a vibe there's a frisson 
if you will. Thank you for bringing it back. My greatest regret about the El Dorado episode last week was that we didn't use the word free song, but now we're back on all cylinders. That movie isn't subtle enough to have a free no. song. It just <laughs> no, is. No. This it's, all, is it's all out on the surface. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk, because I feel like we're getting yes. into that anyway. Yeah. Rewind a little bit. Um, yes, yes. And talk about, because it's it, the structure of the movie, it's like we begin in the sort of movie present. It's the beginning of the week before he leaves. Right. And then we have this flashback into, like, how Vincent got to where he is, including meeting Jude Law, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the said meeting being, I think we, we, so we were watching a movie, like, together but separately and sort of messaging back and forth as we were watching it. And, like, I feel like I was sort of, like, mm, I'm not so sure, like, maybe I misremember this movie. And then fucking Jude Law, like, rolls in in his wheelchair in like a cloud of cigarettes Cigarette smoke. Smoke. like yeah. smoldering at the camera and I was just like oh okay <laughs> yes and as I texted you I was like Jude Law and this cigarette is gay culture like that's what this is like this incredibly like sultry yet petty entrance is like also if I may this is probably a good moment for me to um say that i just out of curiosity, before we started recording, I whipped up the original New York Times review Ooh. of this movie um, because I'm always interested in what, like, critics said about a thing at the time, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, like, I didn't expect for there to be any, like, you know, and for New York Times critics of the 90s to be like, is there a gay vibe? Like, I didn't expect to see that, but you never know. Um, and so where is it? Where is it? Um, there is a little bit of a moment. Yeah, okay. I was, because this is so early in Jude Law's career, this is appropriate as we, you know, describe Jude Law's entrance to you. This is so appropriate, like, okay, so here's the paragraph where they said, the critic says, blah, 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 Vincent is in collusion with Eugene, a one-time star swimmer played by Jude Law, who makes the most sensational major movie de debut since Edward Norton walked off with Primal Fear. And this was what they considered to be his major movie debut and apparently flipped out about it. Which is interesting because obviously like literally within seconds of him entering, I had mm -hmm. to look up when Wild was because I was like, yes. did they cast him as Bozy because they saw him in this or did they cast him in this because they saw him as Bozy? And it turns out the answer is neither because they came out the same year. Same year. Yeah, and this is 97. Both of those, that incredibly gay film, but you know, and this same year. Yeah, and there's just like some, I mean, it's just, it's, it is just gay, like a, just, a, I was, I mean, it's like, I can't even, in a way that like, you just can't even describe it, it's just like a man, yeah. like, smoldering at the camera, wreathed in cigarette smoke, looking like a fucking, um, yeah. noir, like, femme mm -hmm. fatale, because he's yes. so young. He's so, so feminine. So beautiful. And I mean, like, and it's just like, it's a close shot and it's just all eyelashes. And it's just, you know, I mean, he looks like a, he looks like a French actress. It's unbelievable. It's just like, it's exquisite. It's I mean, he's, he's, a, it's like, yeah, he walked away with the movie because I mean, it's, I was, I would, a joke I made at the time was like, finally a film that has an in-universe explanation for why they've collected the 10 most beautiful people on in the world. Yeah, I know. Work in an office. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, Uma Thurman and Jude Law and Ethan Hawke. It, yeah, it's just, like, everyone is at the absolute peak of their beauty and, like, it's, magnetism. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, so, and that's the beginning. That's his first second. Yes, his first second, you're like, oh, this is the most beautiful man I've ever seen. And Jude Law is like, I know. And he proceeds to just be, like, this really sullen, drunk, 
child. Child, yeah. <laughs> um, they have so like uh, Ethan Hawke has to undergo all of these various like gen- like body modification to kind of look more like Jude Law. There's this horrible part where they like break his legs to make him <laughs> two inches taller, and they like give him colored contacts. <sighs> Um, which is one of the less horrific moments. And he's like, well, why do I, because he wears glasses. And they're like, well, contacts are more subtle and your eyes are the wrong color. And he's like, oh, really, are they? And Chudla goes, well, my eyes are prettier. It is just the most, yeah. He's so catty. Oh my God, he is so catty. Yeah, my eyes are prettier. And in the same sequence, that's my favorite moment. We're in that same sequence after and of course, Tony Shalhoub is like the shady backstreet like broker of DNA who like brings the two of them together. Also, he says that offhand thing when he first sees them in the same room where he's like, you look so good together. I want to double my fee. And I was like, they do look good together. Thanks for drawing our eyes to that, Tony Shalhoub. But um, that moment where after they break Ethan Hawke's legs, which you don't see, you just hear the like horrible whirring of some sort of surgical machine and you're just like, ah! And then he ends up like lying on the floor, unable to move. And Jude Law is like in his wheelchair in the background of the room and like sort of tenderly as for the first time and not petty. Jude Law says, are you all right? And Ethan Hawke says, yeah, you want to go dancing? It's great. Which is, I mean, I feel like we, I, I was struck by the parallel. I think because the movie is so short, like parallelism really emerges mm. quite strongly because it's only been like half an hour since something was said. Totally, and comes yeah. back. And so that is, he has a big moment with Uma Thurman's character where he invites her dancing and they actually do go dancing. God, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because the thing that makes it weird and, and like romantic and charged in the Jude Law, Ethan Hawke thing is that they are both immobile in that moment. Yeah, they're sitting, he's like, they're, we're seeing their like big cavernous, like it's impossible <laughs> to tell what any room in the house is supposed to yeah. be because there's no furniture. Yeah. And there's this whole thing of, there's this big spiral staircase that in an early scene, um, mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke is like, who lives up there? And Jude Law is like, mm-hmm. well, obviously not me. Yeah. Even though it's the future and you'd think you could have, like, accessible houses, but he's probably... An elevator. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he can't, he can't, he, no one knows he's had this accident. This is yeah. why the whole mm-hmm. thing can work. I said to Emma before we watched it, I was like, there's a plot hole that I can't remember how they fill, which was, I was like, how do they cover the fact that he was a professional swimmer and then isn't anymore? And it's that no one knows the accident happened. Because he's foreign, because yeah. he, yeah, he, right, Tony, doesn't that it? Tony Shalhoub is like, the accident happened out of the country, so no one here knows. Yeah, he was in England and not in the U.S., apparently. Yeah. Um, but so it's like he can't have modified his house in any way mm-hmm. because no one can know that right. it happened. Right. Um, but yeah, so he's, Jude, I mean, Ethan Hawke is lying on the ground in the foreground in this big empty room with these leg braces on. And Jude Law is sort of set, slightly out of focus off to the side in the background in his wheelchair so there's just this vast distance between them as well it's like neither of them can mm. i mean like do like a move but like neither of them can walk they're yeah. both just like still and can't touch <sighs> each other and can't it's just it's really yeah it's a great shot it's a great shot and yeah you're right to call attention to the distance that's like there's something very i don't know longing and queer and weird you're right about the symmetry of, of having that thing of like i can't move you can't move we're in a dark room there's like 15 feet between us and then someone ruefully says ha, yeah you want to go dancing and then later we do go dancing with a woman who can't who you can go dancing with you know it's interesting you know what just occurred to me is like mm. 
this is almost like a really twisted Cyrano de Bergerac. My God, yes. Yeah, there are elements of that. Yeah, which I came to me because, to skip ahead a little bit, and then we can go back to the sort of like specific vibes between Vincent and Eugene, is that later in the movie, um, there's a sort of crisis, as like plot threads converge in such a way that um, the police officer is like at the at the at their work like mm-hmm. um clearly like zeroing in on vincent and uma thurman realizes this is happening and sort of like hints to him like go home don't let don't be found here because they're gonna test you and he like right. scampers off and then the police officer you know to uma thurman is sort of like why don't you take me to his house i really need to talk to him and so um vincent calls eugene and is like i need you to be yourself like they're coming yeah shit and Jude Law, like, drags himself physically up these stairs in this really horrible, like, horrible on a lot of levels sequence, um, and gets in position, lets them in, and then, you know, greets Uma Thurman, who plays right along as if he is still Jerome, and sort of Mm -hmm. has a chat with the police officer, and the whole kind of thing unravels, and then the officer leaves, and Ethan Hawke comes up the stairs, and she sort of sees them both. And it's that very sort of, like, yeah, Cyrano de Bergerac moment of like each of these men is half of the person you thought you were. We're in love with, yeah. It's really interesting because, yeah, yeah, yeah. She keeps it alarmingly together in front of the detective for someone who is experiencing in real time the reveal of what Ethan Hawke's like grift has been, mm-hmm. basically. Because what she watches is the detective, like, also, yeah, that's that, this, the suspense of the sequence where Jude Law has to do like 87 pull-ups in a row, basically, just with his arms to pull his body up a spiral staircase before they reach the house. And then also, you drew attention to it when we were watching the movie, speaking of how visual it all is, when you were like, lol at this like scarlet waistcoat that Jude Law is just wearing around the house. And it's a remarkably monotone film, like monochromatic film. And, like, he's just, like, lolling around at home in this, like, red, incre- like, silk red vest. It's, like, the only color in the movie. It's really interesting. And he drags himself up the stairs, and you're like, fuck, 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 is he gonna get there? And then he gets there, he gets into, he gets into the chair, crosses his leg over his leg, like, with his, manually, in order to, like, look super cash. And then Uma brings the detective in, and then the detective takes his blood, and it, like, on the scanner shows who he is. And then she it only really occurred to me after watching it that that's the moment where she's like, oh, I saw him take the blood out of the vein. There could be no trickery here. This is Jerome Morrow. So who the fuck is that guy that I slept with? (laughs) You know, because like they've already slept together by this point in the movie. So you're just like, oh, this is really like the shit hitting the fan. And then even before the detective leaves, Jude Law is really weird about it with her because he knows about her from Ethan Hawke. And he, um, acting like himself, acting like Ethan Hawke as Jerome, knowing that they're together, he makes her kiss him in front of the detective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very, like, hi, honey, about it. And she, like, doesn't know him at all and has to play along. Yeah. It's, and it's not only that. He's like, where's my kiss? And she comes over and is clearly going for the forehead. And then he tilts up. He tilts, yeah. To get the lips. Um, but I just realized I'd forgotten they have seen each other. He knows mm. about her and has seen her because there's mm. this weird scene to double back a little bit yeah. where um, 
they're sort of him and him and Vincent are like in a state of tension and Vincent's like, I'm going out. And he's like, everyone's going out. And Jude Law says, Oh, everyone. And he's like, it'll be weird if I don't go. And he's sort of getting ready. And then we see Jude Law sort of like looking out the window down into the driveway. And Uma Thurman is in her car in the driveway and she looks up and sees him. And it's mm. just like, they just sort of see each other and it's never yeah. addressed and neither of them ever quite reacts to it. But it's like, they both know the other exists. Yeah, that's so interesting. I had forgotten that they had laid eyes on each other, but then the fullness of the context, you know, comes into play. Yeah. And obviously she's not going to do anything to screw over Ethan Hawke while the detective's there. So when he leaves, and then Ethan Hawke, like, as you say, like very dramatically sort of swoops up the staircase, there's this weird, dramatic double reveal of like, the, you know, they really like, I mean, Jude Law for sure takes like a lot of pleasure in revealing the perverse depth of the relationship in front of Uma Thurman and he in this incredibly cheeky way looks up at Ethan Hawke while she's still in the room and says I think she likes us no, that's after what well, it's after she's gone yeah that's what they, what they do while she's in the room is Ethan Hawke comes up the stairs and says something like hi Jer like how are you Jerome and yeah. Jude Law says like good Jerome how are Fine, you Jerome <laughs> yeah like, it's, it's such a weirdly, like, almost comic reveal for, like, totally. a scene that has been so tense. Yeah. But there's something really interesting. Like, I hadn't quite thought of this, like, Cyrano de Bergerac thing. But, like, mm. so <laughs> it's time for one of my patented digressions into a completely other form of media. Oh, good. Um, I love Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, I assume everyone listening to this knows the basic story. But it's basically, like, ugly guy woos a, gir a girl on behalf of pretty guy because she loves poetry, he's a poet, pretty guy is inarticulate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's the like, source of that famous scene where the girl's on the balcony, the guy's wooing, and the other guy's like whispering what to say to the guy who's doing the wooing. Um, and so there was this recent adaptation here in London starring James McAvoy. Um, adaptation, it's a new translation. Um, and they included a moment in the sort of second half where Cyrano and Christian, the guy who he is like pretending to be, kiss. And mm. I was really love. I mean, up to that point, it had this really. It was like the first time I'd seen a production where I was really so aware of like there's something just like so mm. weird yeah. about wooing the same woman and yeah. like going after the same girl and like trading and there's just something really and so like the kiss felt really natural and earned and just like this inevitable culmination of like this whole mess and so suddenly I'm like there's yeah there's something here as well in this sense of like you are the same person and mm -hmm. yet you're not and you're both mm -hmm. going after the same things and you like mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's really interesting that that almost brings us back to our our a la the Sherlock Holmes episode, podcast Logan, capable of a throuple. But um, yeah, it's, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, it puts me in mind of maybe this is an okay place to do a small matching digression about Ripley. Yes, which is the movie we almost did this week. Yes. So we had been planning to watch and talk about the talented Mr. Ripley. Also Jude Law in the 90s, two years after Gattaca, that was 99. And um, obviously, as folks probably know, the tiny summary there, you know, it's a, it's a Patricia Highsmith novel and it's about um, a boy named Tom Ripley. It's about classism. And he, um, you know, he gets an opportunity to 
go hang out with basically an incredibly beautiful Jude Law um, in Italy. And through one thing and another, um, it's very, very much, it's like the, it's like the, do I want to be you or do I want to fuck you or both all at once story. And there were a couple of reasons why we didn't end up doing it. Basically, our concern about that one was like, is it just too actually gay? Like, is it just too, it's text, it's not subtext. And so I watched it up until the horrifying murder that we, we all know is there. Well, um, if you don't know is there, what happens and why we paired these movies in our mind is that yes. um, Ripley, played by Matt Damon, murders Jude Law and steals his identity. Yes, and steals his identity. And so the movies were like connected in our brains because of the identity thing. But also, it's just too explicitly gay, for one thing, Ripley. But also, um, it's a huge bummer because basically what happens is that Matt Damon murders him because he refuses his sexual advances. And that's like pretty explicit in the film. But there's something else that pinged that I hadn't thought about until you just said it is he's also very romantic about Jude Law's girlfriend, Matt Damon, Matt Damon as Tom Ripley. There's a very, it's Gwyneth Paltrow and they have a lot of very intimate scenes and he does a lot of very weird, you know, I mean, yeah, it's structured similarly in a lot of ways, except for it's more of a bummer because the the explicitly queer character is also a psycho, which is unfortunate. But it has a lot of the same currents in it as this, including that one about like, I'm kind of into the girlfriend maybe because you are. Like he watches them have sex at, at one point in Ripley. He, they're on a boat together. They're out on a sailboat. And he like looks, he's looking at a mirror that's like placed in a certain way, watching Jude Law have sex with Gwyneth Paltrow and like listening. I fully thought that was actually going to happen in this movie. There's two yeah. sort of morning after scenes. And in one yeah. of them, it's not, in both of them, it's not clear when, when they wake up whose mm -hmm. house they're in. And there was just something about the way the shot was framed and like them slowly waking up. I was like, we're totally going to pan out and see that Jude Law is watching. In the corner. Yeah. But yeah. That didn't happen because they're at yeah. the house. <laughs> right, but that's, it's the same exact energy. It's really, it's really interesting, the relationship. Yeah. So let's rewind a little bit again, because we keep sort of, <laughs> I'm sorry for like jumping around so much. It's sort of weirdly easy to do when the movie is so tightly woven to just like yeah. follow a thread through rather than having to follow it chronologically. Mm, yeah. Um, but so there are vibes. There's vibes. strong vibes of gay. Um, <laughs> there are. For lack of a better, um, which like beginning with, I mean, not even beginning with, I've sort of lost track of the order of things a little bit, but there's sort mm -hmm. of all these scenes of like great intimacy. I mean, so like one of the early scenes we see is like w during this flashback sequence after the, do you want to go dancing? Yes. Which is wonderful. It's um, the day of Ethan Hawke's interview. And just like suddenly, instantly going from catty, snide remarks about Ethan Hawke's looks to are you all right? You want to go dancing to now they're married. Yeah, and it's immediate. It's like the first day of school rushing around. He's like, oh, I'm late. And like Jude Law's like doing his weird little like, you know, skin <sighs> scrapings and like take my hair. Yeah. Blood bags and you know, Ethan Hawke, like, runs to this refrigerator where they keep yeah. all the samples and he writes these urine samples. And mm -hmm. they start having this argument because Jude has been drinking too much and all of the urine samples are contaminated. <laughs> um, and it's just this, it's, it's this very fast, I mean, it jumps straight into, like, yeah. we go from they barely speak to they are so intimate. He's, like, making snide jokes about how Jude Law has more vodka in his piss than piss. Yeah. 
It's incredible. I mean, I love what you just said about the housewife thing, because that's the tenor of it, of like, it's eight in the morning. How can you be drunk already? Listen, I'm sorry. Like, and you know, yeah, and he's like, he's like try, try Wednesday. No, 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 Wednesday's you know, fine. Wednesday's the one. That's the one. That's the one. And also, Jubal's just like so soft and pathetic and British that it's just like, it's such a good, yeah, it's immediate how quickly they fall into the dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, like sort of very shortly after that, we see a super different dynamic because then we kind of switch back to the future. He gets the news that like, you're going on this mission. Vincent gets the news and he comes home and tells Jude Law and Jude Law replies, we have to get drunk immediately. Um, my, my favorite moment in the film, arguably. <laughs> and they go out to this, again, like very 50s, 60s feeling, uh, super high-end, like the Ritz. It's like a jazz club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, are clearly regulars there. And they have this dinner together that is just, like, heavy with mm-hmm. energies. Free-saw. Free-saw. <laughs> Not to overuse it, but it's the word. Yeah. Um, do you want to go into the sort of details of this scene? Oh, please, please, yes. Well, yeah, we have to get drunk immediately is... I mean, I guess the... It's the, the sort of kickoff into the like, oh, now it's all, it's meant to be a celebration, I suppose. Like the thing of like, oh, we're kind of like, we're do we did it, we're doing it. They bought it. You're going to get to have your dream and like do your thing. Um, so it cuts to them at this, yeah, settling in at this very, very high class like club. And it's a very romantic looking, like, you know, it's a candlelit dinner. They're having a candlelit dinner. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of wine, which Jude Law is working through very, very quickly because he's a huge lush. Um, but they're both just sort of like, you know, looking very handsome and precious and like staring into each other's eyes. And, um, Jude Law, they talk about space briefly, everyone's favorite foreplay topic. Um, yeah, they talk about space. And the conversation fairly quickly turns to, um, Vincent saying like, what are you going to do without me? Basically. Yes. Yeah, there's all these weird little, he also says, like, it should be you that's go. Ethan says, it should be you that's going. And, and, and Jude is like, why? And he says, because in, in, in space, your legs wouldn't matter. Yeah. Because of the, like, weightlessness, which I thought was, like, a bizarrely tender thing to say. And then Jude Law's character says, um, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. Ableist and tender? But yeah, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, and then, yeah, like, um, even Hawk says all this stuff about, like, I hate thinking of you alone in that house. Oh, he does say that, doesn't he? Yeah, it's you such should, a you should get out. dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, but it is this, like, super grim, cavernous house. And I think it, like, also yeah. implies that uh, Jude Law orders prostitutes. Oh, yeah, they do. They do totally touch on that. Yeah, yeah he's like, you never see anybody. And he's like, oh, I see people. And he's like, nobody, w- you don't pay. yeah. And then Jude Law sort of laughs it off, and they then pointedly do not specify the gender of the people they don't. that Jude Law is seeing. They don't, and also we never see them. No, they don't say women. Nope. And we don't see them. And it would no, be we don't see them. it feels like something they'd show. As yeah, soon as they said that line, I was like, oh, we're gonna have a scene of him like seeing a girl out or something. Right. But it's it kind just of like feels like a lie. I know. It does kind of feel like a lie. It's a really underplayed, like subtle little kind of moment, too, which is interesting. And then, um, sort of for the first time, um, Jude Law, like, shows an interest in Ethan's, like, 
space obsession for its own sake. Like not just how are we going to pull off this grift essentially. Also sidebar about the fact that we talked last week in the El Dorado episode about how there's something incredibly essentially intimate about running a con together. That's what this is. Like this is also, this is a grand con in a certain sense, you know, and also um, July is getting cut in in a percentage. Yeah, which he specifically describes Ethan Hawke in a sort of like voiceover where he's like mm. explaining this. He says that he does it, he says like, I support him in the manner to which he had grown accustomed. Yes, yeah. Also, I think- Which I, is I such a he, sugar daddy thing to say. I think he uses the word kept. Oh my God. I think he does. I think he does. Like, cause it flagged a button in, 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 you know, it rang a bell in my head immediately. I think he says keeping him in the manner to which he had grown accustomed. And mm -hmm. also like we're lolling around the house smoking endlessly in Scarlet Waistcoast. So like, listen, yeah. but um, also he drinks like a fish, only really expensive wine and yells at waiters cause he's charming. But um, such a uh, in that, such a charmer, in that moment though, um, he asks Ethan Hawke at the dinner about Triton, which is a moon of Saturn, which is where he's going. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what's it like this time of year? Which is a hilarious thing to ask about a moon of Saturn. And um, Ethan Hawke, mid-cigarette inhale, which is really interesting because I was like, oh, does he smoke? In this moment, like, does he smoke? Jude Law smokes, does Ethan Hawke smoke? In this scene he does. He's mid-inhale and he says like this, in a sort of French inhale way without exhaling. And then he leans down over the, over the wine glass and he blows all of the smoke into the glass so that it stays in there and sort of swirls and like, you know, um, evaporates slowly. And it's a very weird, sexy thing to do. At the same time when we were watching it, because we were texting, we were messaging and watching it, at the same exact time, we both typed, smoke in the glass. <laughs> It's just really, it's a really, it's a really erotic thing. It is. Um, it's the, yeah, it's hard. I mean, it just is. And like, he's like maintaining eye contact kind of as he does it. All the way down. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's yeah. just really intense. And then what sort of happens immediately after is Jula has gotten wasted and he has to carry him home and carry yes. him into bed. He vomits and, all over the place first. Yeah, he vomits all over the place and goes, oh, do you want this? I could save yeah, it. I know. It's, and then he, like, laughs darkly, and Ethan Hawke is like, ugh. And it's, yeah. the, it's the most. He's the worst. He's um, the worst. But so then, uh, and, and so Ethan Hawke's, like, carrying him into bed, and he's just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Like, literally. Yeah, um, over and over. And Ethan Hawke's like, no, you're not. And he's like, no, I really, really am. <laughs> um... And there's this really weird bit where he kind of gets him up out of the chair and then he's like, help me, help me. And Jude just dead weights and refuses to help at all and just mm -hmm. lets them both collapse to the ground. Onto and the bed. Then, well, no, first onto the ground. Oh, first onto the ground. And then he to get him yeah. up and onto the bed. It's very weird. And like, he's right. sort of like, why won't you help me? I mean, and obviously like, he can't stand, but like, he's also clearly making it as hard as possible. Yes. He's sort of like got his arms like limp out to the sides. Like he's not even holding on to Ethan. Yeah, no, he goes, help. he goes fish in his whole body. Yeah, he just yeah. lets go. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Which is just really, it's just this weird like moment of like, you're just trying to make, extend this contact mm -hmm. as long as possible, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets him up onto the bed, and then Jula grabs him by the tie. By the tie. Your favorite. Thing. Our favorite. And pulls him very close, and this is when he makes the confession about, I wasn't yes. drunk when I stepped yeah. in front of that car. Right. And Ethan Hawke sort of, like, doesn't, he says, he said, he sort of 
tries not to process the information. Like, you know, he sort of backs away from the intimacy of that moment. He says like, oh, you're drunk, you're drunk. And then Jude Law, um, who has been calling him Jerome the whole time, and, and Jerome, Ethan Hawke has been calling him Eugene, um, Jude Law calls him Vincent in that moment. And, and then Ethan Hawke says like, oh, you must be drunk to use my real name or something like that. And then that's the end of the scene. And it's just like, what? It's so odd. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, and like with all these things we've talking, been talking about of like being the same person, not being the same person, because it's, it's Jude Law, it's Eugene who says, if you're going to be Jerome, I need to, at first he's like, Jerome is me, it's my name. And then like later, like sort of right before sort mm-hmm. of the, the project is complete and like, uh, Vincent goes to like apply for the job he's like if I'm you're gonna have to get used to being Jerome and I'll be Eugene Mm -hmm. and there's just something in Mm -hmm. the names and the sort of trying to create distance between them with names yes yeah yeah it's really really interesting which as you say that you know going back or forward depending uh, back to, uh, to that moment where they do the mutual reveal to Uma Thurman and they have that moment of hi Jerome how are you Jerome like they've achieved the singularity by the by the time that they get to that you know and like she and I think she likes us like cool like we're the same we're two halves of the same man as you say but yeah there's something about the fact that the most physically like erotically tense moment between them is the one where Jude Law gives him back his real name. But it's almost, I mean, it's almost like it's a journey through the story for him because his first, you know, Eugene's first thing is like, you be Jerome, I'll be Eugene. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you're Vincent. Mm -hmm. Then it's, we're both Jerome. Both Jerome. And it kind of leads into a quote that I think we both, again, highlighted where very near the end when um, Vincent's getting ready to leave, he's like, I can't believe you kind of did this for me. Mm. And Jude Law says, you know, actually, no, no, like I got the better end of the deal. I lent you my body, but you lent me your dream. I like left my body when I heard that in the film. I was just like, whoa, I like levitated all the way out of my chair. (laughs) I mean, to go with being, like, kept in the style that he was accustomed to, I lent you my body. Whoa! I was just, like, like, a suit, and also he's Juvon, and it's a close-up shot, and he's just, like, all eyelashes and pouting, and it's just, like, it's such an odd moment, and it's such a pointed choice of words. I literally was just, like, goodbye! I just, like, levitated away in that moment. It was just, like, but there is something in, it's like they've achieved the, mm-hmm. yeah, as you say, the singularity, the apotheosis. It's something that yeah. Jules has resisted and only in these sort of closing days can he, I don't know if it's see, accept, allow, appreciate that their being one is something, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, is something good or something that he mm. wants or can yeah. allow. I'm not quite sure what the tone of the change is. Yes, it's so interesting. That thing about, but you lent me your dream is like part of Jude Law's melancholia and you sort of sense the source of his depression, I guess. Because again, we're leading to the fact that like he is in the apotheosis kind of merging of destinies moment. Like when Ethan Hawke achieves what he's been trying to achieve all this time at the very end, Jude Law kills himself. And like 
What's interesting about it is that in the getting to know you sequence at the beginning, um, Jude Law at one point holds up his silver medal from like the Olympics, one assumes. And he says to Ethan Hawke, he's like, he holds it up and Ethan Hawke is like, cool, you were a professional swimmer, I know. And then he says, are you colorblind as well? And then Ethan Hawke like doesn't register what he's trying to say. And then Jude Law says, um, it's silver. With everything that I had going for me, I was still second best. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, like the fact that like you get the, you, the whole backstory of the character is in that line where you're just like, fuck, like that's, you know, it's they're it's, coming it's, at, yeah. It's the, you started on third and you couldn't even hit a single. Like, yes, yes, exactly. Whereas the Ethan Hawke character, the entire story of him is like, you started with nothing. No one would, no one believed you would even live. And now look at you. And so like, you know, while he blasts into space to like achieve this impossible dream that he was always told was impossible, you know, like while he goes up Jude Law, you know, self-destructs. And it's this really interesting thing. But it's, what's really interesting to me is like, is that the opposition? Because so right. there's this thread in the movie where him and his brother, who again, his, his younger brother is like genetically modified. So he's like stronger, bigger, taller, better, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And they'd play chicken as kids and mm -hmm. they'd go swim as far as they could. And whoever got scared first turned back. Mm -hmm. And we see this flashback of the this time when he's in this sort of late teens, maybe. Mm -hmm. And they do this race and he doesn't turn back and he just keeps going until his brother is the one who like begins to drown and he rescues his brother. And then right. that very day he leaves home and never looks back. And that's right. in the narration, like that was the turning point for me. Yeah. So then when the police officer is revealed as his brother and they sort of have this conversation and he, you know, the brother's like, just give yourself in, like I can help you. And he's like, no, I've achieved all this. I'm not giving it up. Like, and the brother says something like, you never really beat me. Like I beat myself or something. And he's like, that's what he says. It's <laughs> such a bad line. And he's like, all I right. can't beat you and I'll prove it. And they like run to the ocean, like in that very moment. That was the moment. I was just like, are we settling this with a brother against brother night swim? Yes. Yes, we are. And so they go and have a brother v. brother night swim, and Ethan Hawke wins again and has to rescue mm -hmm. his brother again. And his brother is sort of like, how do you do it? And he's like, or he, there's this moment where they're sort of paddling, and the brother's like, we have to go back. We're not going to have enough energy to make it back if we keep going. And he says, like later, I he's like, that's Yeah, he's like, yeah. that's my secret. I never leave anything for the return journey. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah. and there's been a couple moments throughout the movie where like in moments of a great physical exertion or stress, he does seem to be having some kind of heart murmur episode. Mm -hmm. And so this moment where, you know, Jude Law gives him this letter that by the time he begins to open it, we know is his suicide note. Yes. And it's this odd shot of like, we see him open it and then we begin to hear this voiceover that is in Ethan Hawke's, Ethan Hawke is delivering it. Mm -hmm. but it's very unclear if he is reading what Jerome wrote. Yes, Reading what unclear. Eugene wrote or whether this is his own thoughts. And he, yeah. there's this line in it that's like, for someone who was never meant for this world, I find it very hard to leave it. Ugh. And you're sort of like, is that referring to Eugene killing himself? Is that referring to... Vincent going to space and it's super unclear to me whether it is not perhaps a suicide note for them both. That is so brilliant. I didn't even really realize that until you just said it. That thing of like, yeah, because that's of course the beautiful line in it and I find it really hard to leave it. And 
Um, I mean, that you, you saying that also reminds me of something that the Ethan Hawke character says to Uma Thurman earlier when they are dancing. He says to her, for someone who spent his whole life trying to figure out a way to leave, and then as soon as, you know, as soon as I'm able to leave, I've found a reason to stay. And it's like so reminiscent of that, of like, now I'm finding it hard to leave. The simultaneity of like, the apotheosis, as you say, the togetherness, the singleness of that journey of like, they leave at the same time. Also, in the moment of when he hands him the note, Eugene doesn't say, I'm going to kill myself. He says, I'm going traveling too. And then also, the way the shot works is that the implication is that as he does it, he incinerates himself, which is really vile. As he does it, he watches Ethan Hawke's rocket take off. Yeah, he climbs into, because it's like, you know, uh, <clears throat> Ethan Hawke, Vincent has to dispose of all his like skin and hair and all these things, and he dumps everything into this like man-sized incinerator that they have. He like crawls into it, like exfoliates mm -hmm. aggressively and then gets out and burns. Burns the evidence, inside. right. And Jude Law climbs into that, puts on his silver medal. Yeah, he's wearing a suit as well. Yeah, and burns. Flips the switch, yeah. Death. Mm -hmm. It's horrific. What a, it a horrific way to die. Yeah. But yeah. it's, um, yeah, so it's like there's even something in it's not that what it's not the dead poet society thing of like mm -hmm. one must die so the other can live i think it's no. strongly applied they're both going to die they're so much one person Ooh. that this is a journey neither of them saved anything for the return mm. trip that's wonderful yeah i mean it's terrible but it's poetically it's poetically rich yeah that's really that's really interesting the fact that it's like well it's Maybe that's what he means by the sort of, you lent me your dream. It's that like, I can die now because you are achieving our dream for us I together. I think that is it, because it's really unclear. You mm -hmm. want it to mean you've taught me the value of having a dream and now I'm actually going to go travel and live a fulfilling life because it doesn't mm -hmm. matter that I'm not perfect. Right. But instead, you feel like the ultimate kind of, oh, the 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 deep tragic note of it is like you get to have it for us both and now we're and then we're both done mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i'll have yeah. it too because we're one person because we're one person yeah. yeah yeah that's really intense that is really it isn't it i think so mm. Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's just really it's very strange i mean it's yeah, a great it it's a good movie like i did i liked mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. i did too yeah, like I said, it has a dream quality. It has a like a, a poetic succinctness and also a sort of surreal quality of art direction. It doesn't look, it's very different tonally than a lot of the other things we've seen. And it's not that it's not funny because it has moments, but it's really like poetically charged at all times, you know? There's a lot of moments like that moment when Uma Thurman and Jula see each other that yeah. in a way that's very unlike a conventional mm -hmm. Hollywood movie, which I think are over obsessed with explaining things. They just get to sit and be. And it's yeah. just an image that you hold in your mind as you see other things. And actually mm -hmm. another moment that I think is really relevant to what we're talking about right now mm -hmm. is there's this sort of scene. So the scene where um, Vincent and Irene go dancing yeah. They're a club there and gets raided by the police. And there's this like very tense, horrible moment where Ethan Hawke beats the shit out of a police officer so that he doesn't have to like give him a blood sample. Yeah. And while this is all happening, they're also sort of sweeping the city, you know, trying to find a match for this mm. material that they found at the scene of the crime. Mm. Jude Law is out alone for the first time in the movie. 
he's just out on the street and he gets stopped and tested and for the sort of last time gets mm-hmm. to be himself in public yeah. and really, really relishing this moment. And you kind of, I was waiting for this moment to come back in some way yeah. and be like a plot complication, but it's not, it just happens. He gets his blood sample. The guy looks at it and is like, you're a navigator. Yeah. And, instead of, and he owns it and is like, yes, I am. Yeah. And he says, he offers, he offers an explanation off the cuff really in, in a really good moment of improv where he is like, I hurt my legs in a training accident. And then he, and then he um, calls on all of his like, you know, native class privilege to like scream at the guy and like, and be like, how dare you over and like and chases over and over. him down yeah. the street as he's trying to sort of walk away and be like, sorry, man, like, oops. He's trying to be like, sorry, man, made a mistake. And he like pursues him to yell at him and just sort of, and then the next scene we have with him is this sort of like farewell kind of suicide note scene. And it's this odd moment of sort of grabbing the last chance to be Mm. himself. Mm, Yeah. That's very interesting. Or something. It's a weirdly haunting performance considering the fact that it's very much a sort of, um, it's very much a supporting actor position in the film. Like Ethan Hawke, obviously, because he's the center of the narrative and he's the only person that goes places, you know, like he has so much more screen time. But Jude Law is like very memorable in it, as that, as the Times review would suggest. It turns into a weirdly scene steely, a, a weirdly film steely turn because there's something very haunted and haunting about it. And it's got, you know, something to do with all of these undercurrents, I think, but. Yeah, I mean, and there's something in, in, mm. a, com- in a completely logical uh, mental leap that I think everyone listening to this podcast will understand. Both of us <laughs> thought about the X-Men. Yeah. Um, you know, that totally similar and <laughs> uh, <laughs> completely relevant film franchise and comic book series. Um, because there's something, I mean, obviously, like, the X-Men is explicitly known and has been stated to be a metaphor for queerness or, you know, similar things. And there's something in, we're trying to work out, like, is there something in this idea of sort of, like, genetics and perfection and kind of biological difference Mm -hmm. that, when I phrase it like that, feels really retrograde and gross. But then also another thing the movie does is I said that they have all these various like dumb nicknames for the people who are not genetically engineered. And one of them is degenerates, which like obviously they picked. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a dumb, I mean, it's not even a pun. Like it's a play on genes, but like degenerate is such a loaded word. Yeah. Yeah. I think, cause we were talking about that of like, is there something inherently queer about like a, an allegory about, about an underclass, about difference, you know? And I feel like it's just, if there is, it's that X-Men thing of like, of in, envisioning a society that creates and is unapologetic about like, you know, um, cultural separations that are unbridgeable in that, in that way of like, oh, you're one of those people. So you, you know, I don't know. I don't agree with that actually, because obviously that could be, I mean, there were various points in the film where I was like, this would be such a different movie if it wasn't a white guy. Oh my God. Yeah. In this, you know, early on where he's like talking about like, we're the oppressed, blah, 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 where I was like, God, this is like, yeah. Like, why is this a white man saying these things? So it's like, I don't think that that is that 
is only functions as a metaphor for queerness. No, no, but there's something, again, you're right, it would be so different. If, and also, I don't think it would be made, uh, it would definitely not be made all white now. You know, it's like, I was thinking about that, and it was interesting. No, though I don't know if that would be better. <laughs> I think that no. it's a movie that, I mean, by definition of its premise, has to flatten out real world inequalities in favor of their fictional inequality which is like always a really dicey line to walk if you're yes. like see look at Uma Thurman she's this you know like if you cast you know like Lupita Nyong'o in that role yeah. like you have to be ignoring a lot of questions about like so what happened to racism then yeah well because that's the thing as you say they may, they have Ethan Hawke in voiceover say racism isn't a thing anymore like he yeah. says like you know he literally says discrimination isn't about race or gender or x or y or z anymore it's just about this which you're like okay right which is sure. you know and it's interesting because there are people of color in the film they just don't do Anything. an amazing job of contextualizing them yeah there's actually this really to me it was a really striking shot when they're sort of panning down the row of astronauts all yeah. in the shuttle and he's the only white one. Oh, is he yeah. 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 That's interesting. So yeah, I mean, they don't do, they don't do that storytelling. They sort of elide that storytelling by packing it all into that piece of voiceover at the beginning of like, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. And it seems like they're doing the same with sort of sexism and like, you know, it seems like they're telling the same story about, even though of course none of the bosses and none of the cops are women. No, I mean, and frankly, I think, I don't know that they're telling that same story of sexism because people are really sexist to Uma Thurman's character all the time. Mm, that's interesting. Like, there she's a... the sort of one pulled out of the line to be like, go help the detectives, dear. And, like, people are really, like, speak to her in really denigrating ways constantly. So I don't know if that's just, like, it was written by people who, like, their own sexism is so ingrained they can't imagine what a world where women are actually equal would look like, or if that is not mm. meant to be contained under the rubric of there's no more discrimination. Right. Well, it's interesting because I, now looking back at the, looking back at the review that came out at the time, it's like the second sentence. It says, um, uh, its subject is bigotry, though the races and sexes appear to enjoy equal freedom, which is to say not much. And then mm. it talks about the sort of rest of it. But it's interesting that the review felt the need to put that in the opening paragraph. I mean, it's really conspicuous. I feel like this yeah. is like whenever you're kind of trying to do an allegory for oppression, mm -hmm. it means, I mean, it's like the whole problem with fucking Harry Potter, isn't it? It's like, we're yes. going to come up with our own class of despised, you know, like discriminated against people so that we don't have to deal with like racism. Right, right. exactly. Like, yeah, okay. But like, what about, what is the wizard empire? Like, anyway. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, totally. But the point being that I think that it is not the fact that it is a story with a metaphor for discrimination mm -hmm. that makes it queer. No, I think it's I think it's this thing that we've been talking around about the about the shared about the shared identity thing of the like are they something about the merging of selves feels like where it lives and where that lives in the dynamic intimacy again we always come back to that word i feel like but the thing of like how intimate can you get like i now have your blood is like the you know is like the metaphor of this movie mm -hmm. interesting and i guess maybe there's something in like if you're taking it in a very sort of like dark and self-loathing way the idea mm -hmm. of like what are the things that can't be erased by mm genetic testing and mm -hmm. you know like there's so I don't know there's just all this language about the the line that the doctor says at the end when he's like oh my son isn't all he was promised to be 
which is precisely also Jugma's problem of like, you're just not good enough, even though you're supposed to be perfect and you're supposed to have everything. Right, um, right. So then I guess the lurking question is sort of like, what actually is wrong with Jugla then? Like, why did he want to kill himself? Or like, why did he, you know, this, what is like at the core of his feeling of being second best always or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. why isn't he? Surely, like, a perfect athlete is resilient enough to come in second and keep going. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, and there's just, and again, like, I don't know, just once you start throwing the word degenerate around, even when you pronounce it stupid to make it a pun, like, I'm like, well, you're <laughs> talking about gay people now. Yeah. Which is yeah. weird because in some ways it's not really Vincent. It's Jude Law. I mean, it's both of them. It's both of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's both of them. I mean, we also, we've talked a lot about Jude Law and the sort of Jude Law type, but Ethan Hawke, also repeat offender, also friend of the podcast, having having already showed up in Dead Poets Society, you made the comment yesterday about how, like, isn't it interesting that Ethan Hawke sort of constantly shows up in these, like, I'm a bit of an outsider, even though there's actually nothing wrong with me type of roles of like, what is he dealing with this innate sense of difference in all these movies, you know, of like, I, I look the same, but I'm not the same as other people is exactly his story in this movie just as it is in Dead Poets Society. That's actually a really interesting thread. There's this part sort of in the like three quarters point of the movie when he's freaking out he can sense the police are closing. He knows the police are closing in. He like starts trying to throw away the blood samples like we have to leave town. We have to go and Jude Law Mm -hmm. is like what the fuck are you doing? Tries to stop him and he's like they're gonna catch me. They're gonna find me blah 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 and Jude Law is like you don't understand. Like they will never believe yeah. The thing in front of them. They will never believe that you are not what you seem to be. They cannot see. Yeah. The thing. The thing that does not fit into their worldview. Like to take yeah. on Jerome's identity is not just to like take on, it's to take on an aura, a sheen yes. of privilege that protects yeah. you from everything. Yeah. And I mean, constantly people at these like checkpoints who are checking blood and urine and stuff throughout the film, like constantly people see like the the picture i don't know the because the the whole tony I mean, gosh, says this in the beginning he when when he first introduces yes. the two of them, vincent's like we don't look anything alike and tony shalhoub's like no one's gonna look at the picture it doesn't matter yeah exactly and tony shalhoub is like you could show them a picture of me and as long as you have his blood it wouldn't matter yeah yeah and so mm-hmm. it's more than just it's another it's an it's I, that's just such an interesting part of the movie as well it's this idea of like you haven't just thought blood you haven't just bought a fake id you have bought a, mm-hmm. a position you've bought mm-hmm. protection from exactly mm-hmm. the kinds of questions that would reveal that this is a lie right because he's constantly not only are they seeing the picture he gets out of these swabs and stuff all the time yeah and multiple times he just sort of like privileges his way mm-hmm. out of being asked it. questions yeah yeah it's really really interesting and then ultimately tragic the sort of um you know this is so interesting now what's popping into my head is i was also reading a review of ripley after watching it and they described uh the same position they described uh you know the kind of striving to belong of the matt damon character in that movie juxtaposed with jula in ripley as um they described jula having the burden a different burden the burden of perfection 
Mm. which is of course exactly the same in this. That's kind of why the really, I mean, just to bring it back to the symmetry and the fact that we were, we thought of these movies in the same like breath for that reason, that that's the, the burden of perfection is such an evocative phrase in the context of this movie. Cause in, in Ripley it's wealth. And in this movie, it's something bigger. This genetic yeah. gift. Mm-hmm. Interesting though, because like Ripley frames that striving as a competition by which yes. one must destroy the other. Yeah. And I feel like what we're building to is in this movie, it the queerness, because that is a very queer, it is like this sort of queer thing for Ripley as we discussed explicitly. Yeah. And in this, the queerness comes from it being a weird kind of collaboration. Ah, uh, yeah. And merging. Mm-hmm. And it is not a collaboration that sort of frees either of them, really. No, it's just that for a single sort of moment, for a single kind of beautiful moment, they get to do the Cyrano de Bergerac thing and be greater than either of them could be alone. Yeah. Of like, for a single symmetrical instant, we get to together be the kind of man we wanted to be, and then that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really gay. That's really gay. I think I th- that's gay. <laughs> I think it's gay. Um, and is that, I mean, is that pretty much, I think that's pretty that's, much all there is to say about that. I think that's it. Um, I keep forgetting to say this, but you can find us on a, a variety of <laughs> podcast provider platforms, including Spotify and iTunes. If you mm-hmm. are feeling generous and would like to rate us or leave us a review, uh, that seems to be a thing that people on podcasts say. We're also mm. on Instagram. We're also on Instagram. You can find us at This Movie Is Gay podcast. On Instagram. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.